I'm going to talk about a silver lining that I got from my husband's death. I want to make it really clear to everybody that it is not your job to point out other person's silver lining. Mm. So many people were like, well, you know, you have so much going for you. Like they were trying to put silver linings around. One of my friends said, um, Kim, you know, don't worry. You're young. You're beautiful. You can get married again. And I was like, oh, well, then I don't need to be so sad because I can replace my husband. Welcome to the Be It Till You See It podcast, where we talk about taking messy action, knowing that perfect is boring. I'm Lisa Logan, Pilates instructor and fitness business coach. I've trained thousands of people around the world, and the number one thing I see stopping people from achieving anything is self-doubt. My friends, action brings clarity, and it's the antidote to fear. Each week, my guests will bring bold, executable, intrinsic, and targeted steps that you can use to put yourself first and be it till you see it. It's a practice, not a perfect. Let's get started. All right, be it, babe. So today's guest, um, the topic is going to be something that makes you pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> and, and, and I'm hoping to make some of these topics more comfortable because we got to get over it, y'all. We got to start talking about grief. We got to start understanding how to help each other. And uh, today's guest not only shares her story about how she lost her husband, but also what she's doing today to make workplaces a better place when it comes to grief. And and I I truly hope that you take some time to listen to this. I know you might be thinking, oh my gosh, Leslie, it's Tuesday and I want like all the happiness in the world. But today's guest is actually, you know, what she's doing is... Well, she's wrote a book called 100 Acts of Love. So it's actually quite a positive talk around a, a subject that we all want to avoid. And she's actually going to tell you the exact things not to say. <laughs> so I promise you, you're going to want to stick around because I know all of us don't want to say the wrong thing. Uh, we only want to do the, the things that could be helpful. And you're going to get a lot of helpful tips. And also, you know, someday we're all going to be in a place where we are in grief. There's different kinds of grief, of course, but we're humans. We're going to lose each other in our lives. And so being able to hear other people's stories, I think is really important to understanding how, how every, how you're feeling is normal. <laughs> and, um, I know when you listen to this, that it's easy to put a lot of pressure on yourself to like get it together and, and be okay. And, um, what I hope you hear from this is that it's okay not to be okay. So Kim Hamer is our guest today. She's beautiful inside and out. And this is one of the, my most favorite interviews to do. So thank you, Kim. And thank you for being here to listen to this. And I can't wait to hear what your takeaways are. All right, be it babe. I'm so excited to have you back with us today, listening in because our guest today, honestly, like, I'm so glad, uh, this woman came across my, like my feed and thing, uh, people I should interview because I definitely, uh, the topic we're gonna talk about today, I definitely feel like I've been the person who fucked up and didn't do the thing and didn't say the thing and didn't help out. And everyone's <laughs> like, what? And Kim's laughing. So Kim Hamer is our guest today. And she is an incredible person who is helping people actually do a hundred acts of love and actually give steps. And it's because you, she went through something traumatic and people weren't able to help out. And then she saw herself in that. So I'm going to let her tell her own story. So Kim, will you tell everyone who you are and what brought you here today? Sure. So uh, what brought me here today is my husband's death at the age of 44. Um, he was six foot six tall, about 230. So, you know, good stock, good size man, not a skinny six foot six. 
and very healthy. We were like the typical LA couple, you know, like working out together and trying to make our way in the world with our three kids, making sure that they're good students, eating organic food, you know, exercising. Um, and, and that didn't help. Um, he was diagnosed with cancer. It was very surprising for both of us as, as I, I can't imagine someone says when they get diagnosed with cancer, oh yeah, I thought that was going to happen. Um, so <laughs> yeah, but also, it's always but, surprising. but also like when someone is 60 plus, you're like, well, you know, yeah, when you get a certain true. age, it's a numbers game, right? Like that sounds really it, this is true. terrible, but like no, 40, but you right. don't expect yep. to be diagnosed with something like that. This is very true. And it was really surprising to us. And um, what I learned in that first part of the journey, you know, that day that we found out it was literally like one of those, you know, Hallmark movies The you know, my husband had been having trouble breathing. And for some reason, when he said, I'm going to call the doctor, I said to him, I want to come with you. And he right on the heels of that, he said, I want you to come with me. Like we knew something wasn't right. And I don't want to go into details of what the symptoms were because nobody needs, no one needs to be going, Oh my God, I can't breathe. I might have cancer. (laughs) (laughs) We don't need to be another WebMD moment. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but we were sitting in the doctor's office and we had had, he already had, had an x-ray and an exam and the doctor came in and we're sitting at the exam table on one side of the exam table. The doctor came in and wove his hands together and put them on the exam table and said to my husband, I think you have cancer. And the only reason he couldn't confirm it is because it was inside and we needed to do, you know, you need to confirm it with tests. Um So we kind of fell into this. It was very serious early on. It was stage four. And had we not taken like immediate action that next week, he probably would not have lasted through the end of the month. Um, It was really very, very, but we didn't know. We didn't know it was that serious because the first doctor we were with was very kind of lackadaisical, kind of like, well, we'll get this test started. And um, so anyway, what happened was, I needed a lot of help. I had three, we had three young kids at this time. I was um, trying to make a living as a, trying to help my husband. We were, you know, he was working and I was making a living as a freelance writer. And I knew right off the bat that I was in way over my head. Like I was absolutely positive, but I didn't know how people could help other than bring a meal, which is the one thing that everyone does. And that actually, sometimes I was like, no more, like stop bringing us any more food. Um, so through that process, what I realized was that some people knew exactly how to be helpful and most people didn't know. Mm-hmm. And um, for those who didn't know, it was always this awkward place of like, well, what do you need? And I'm like, I don't know. I can't think of anything until 2 a.m. when art's vomiting and I realize I'm running out of paper towel, right? Or yeah. until the morning when I go to pour cereal, go to pour milk into the cereal for the bowl for the kids and there's no milk so there's a sense of like there's just this big disconnect I was on one side of this cliff and everyone else is on the other side of the cliff and everybody wanted to help but there was just we needed a bridge yeah um so it it was it was um my husband's job and we went into this you know went into these roles without even discussing it his job was to beat the cancer He put blinders on, he focused on nothing but that. And it was serious enough that he couldn't work. So he did not have anything else to think about, but making it through every single day. 
And then my job became everything else. And the thing about our relationship is we definitely co-parented. So all of a sudden I was parenting by myself. He would come, you know, he would come out of chemo for a couple of days and then they'd slam with chemo again and he'd disappear. And then he'd come out of chemo for a couple of days and they'd slam him with chemo again. So it was, um, it was a very harrowing experience. And then we got the all clear. And so, which is a fantastic thing, you know, you get the all clear and I thought, which is, I think what everyone else thinks is you're going to have a party and celebrate and you look at life brand new and you're going to go do all those things you've been scared to do before. That is not what happened. Mm. What happened was we spent, can I swear? You can. Okay. We spent months looking, we would get into bed and look at each other and go, what the fuck just happened? Like, like literally like, and then we spent months wondering if we wanted to remain married. Because Uh, something like that really puts, it brings out the best in your marriage and it brings out the worst in your marriage. So did we want to remain together? What was that about? I was pissed because my husband was. (laughs) I I could just imagine, like, I've just spent all this time making sure you could just focus on living. And now you're rethinking and I'm, now I'm rethinking what I just did. Now I'm rethinking, (laughs) should I have made that effort? (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. That's so much emotions. Yes. It's a lot of emotions. You know, I was pissed. I, I, I took on the role of taking on all this stuff, but I also took on the role of being a martyr. So there was part of that play in there. I was pissed because he never thanked me. I mean, just crazy stuff, crazy, crazy stuff. We go through our lives. We decide that we do like each other and we do want to remain married. We go into couples therapy, which is very, very helpful. On top of all this, there's still side effects from the chemo that we're dealing with Mm -hmm. eight months later. So I think that's another thing that people don't understand the chemo doesn't just kind of disappear out of your system. Um, So we remain married. We're going to make a go of it. We're kind of like getting our feet back into life and going out and helping the kids do all these other things. My husband does his first triathlon. Um, I had been doing them for years. It was sort of my domain, but I was like, go for it. He does his first triathlon. We go away for Thanksgiving and he starts to have symptoms again, but he's not really focusing on the fact that there's symptoms. He's just saying he doesn't feel well. Um, And then, and then at the end of December, it was clear, you know, you look back at photos, you can see that he'd lost a lot of weight, but when you're with him day to day, you just don't notice. Um, And then he, you know, we caught it, it, cancer came back less than two years later. Um, It was stage four again. Mm. Um, And then four months after that, he died. So it was just sort of this whirlwind again um, of, okay, we're going to jump into the roles. Like I knew I was familiar with this role. He was yeah. familiar with this role. Um, after he died, of course, you know, he was 44, so very young. And yeah. our kids were 12, nine and seven. They were also young. And there was this sort of, um, we I, again, I saw how so many people knew what to do. And so many people didn't know what to do. How friends who we thought would step in, stepped back. And how other people who we didn't really even know that well became our friends, right? We came in and stepped in and became my friend, became my husband's friend. Um, And it was about that point that I started to get really resentful of people. I'm going to tell you all, this is the honest truth of what happened in my mind. Yeah, that's what we want. Because I think that like, like I said at the beginning of this, y'all, like I, I was reading what you wrote and I was like, 
Oh yeah. Like I know, like when a friend has a kid, I'm like, Oh, I don't have a kid. So like, should like, what do you need? Do you need toilet paper? Like, but, but they need more clothes. Do you need tri- diapers? Like what yeah, size? Exactly. So then you're like, Hey, how's it going? Right. <laughs> exactly. Ex- exactly. <laughs> so like, I, yeah. I feel like, I feel like it's, I love that you're sharing all of this because I think, I think one, then when someone in our lives is going through it, we can kind of like glean from this whole moment and learn from it. Also like, we may be in your same shoes someday. And like, yeah. gosh, we don't want to feel like we're alone. And like, we're the crazy person who's like, yeah. you know, like I'm over the food. <laughs> exactly. exactly. I will tell you this. My kids went on a lasagna strike after my husband died because people kept bringing us lasagna. And you know, there's a hundred million ways to make lasagna. So we were getting, so the kids would love one lasagna who I can never remember who bought it for us, who, who you know brought it over. And then we have that one. Then they have another one. And they were like, this one sucks. And so a month into it, my oldest was like, mom, no more lasagna. We don't want any more lasagna. So I had to tell all our friends, like no more lasagna y'all because we were lasagna'd out. Um, so, so back to the resentment, you know, I just began to feel really angry. I was like, you know, my husband died and you can't find the courage to come up and talk to me. Like mm-hmm. what the hell is wrong with you? And then as the years go on, I start to have a lot of empathy, sympathy first, and then empathy. And what I realize is I'm really mad, which is often the case. We get really mad because they're doing something that we have done in the past or that we would do. And what I realized is I didn't know what this, I would not have known how to help me if I had been my friend, I wouldn't know what to say. I would have been the person who said, if you need anything, let me know. And we'll talk about why that's the least helpful thing later. Um, So I, I wanted to, there's a lot of books out there. If you have cancer, a ton, you know, and it's never enough information. There can always be more, but if one in three of us is going to get a cancer, the other two need to know what to do. And that's why I wrote my book Mm -hmm. so that people could quickly, they could just open it up in a panic, like, oh my God, what do I do? And they open up and, you know, tip number 48 is stock the bathroom. Like make sure that they have, you mentioned toilet paper, make sure they have toilet paper and toothpaste and soap and, and clean towels. And you put your number on the, on a tape it to the bathroom cupboard door so that when they run out of those things, they don't have to try to remember between them, between that moment and getting to writing a piece of paper or getting to their phone to write it down, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really wanted people to be able to take very simple actions. I think the thing that I realized, not I think, the thing that I saw, the the things that people did the most that were most helpful were really simple things. You didn't need to sign up to bring food every single Monday for 365 days, right? It didn't need that, that, you know, it was helpful for sure. But my idea of helping before my husband got sick would have been like, I need to take this whole thing on because I'm going to make a difference. And, and you don't need to do that. A lot of the tips in the book were from simple things that people did and they did them once, but they were really powerful. Yeah. So that's sort of my story. And then I go into HR, I, I go back into HR. So I go back to work after not being, after not being in an office for over 12 years, I um, stumble a little bit and then I decide I need to go back into HR. And my very first job in HR was working for a president of a company whose wife had cancer and then died. Oh my gosh. Like what a divine appointment. Like not that you wanted to go through that, but you could like lucky him to have someone in his world who could just look at him and like see him. 
Yes, exactly. And I ended up helping the CEO work with him because the CEO didn't have a clue what to do. I ended up helping his team work with them. And then the back of my mind, that's sort of where the idea came. And then last year, I just decided to go ahead and launch a consultancy. And right now, my focus is on employee death. How are managers managing a grieving team? And I think I just spoke to someone yesterday who was like, oh, no, our managers are fine. And I'm like, oh, you're so out of touch. Your managers are not fine. Yeah. They are scared. They are, they are feeling a ton of pressure because they've got, these, they've got these goals they have to meet. And then they've got a grieving team. So all of a sudden, Tom, Mr. Nice Guy, Tom, been around, been nice the whole time. All of a sudden, really mean and short and bitchy. And, you know, but the manager's like, I need you to do this, Tom. And now the manager's afraid to talk to Tom, but, and the manager's feeling afraid because grief makes us feel insignificant and small and scared and afraid. So the manager's feeling afraid, doesn't want to approach Tom, who's now, you know, Tom is off the, off the charts, crazy. Um, And it's all because of grief. Yeah. And then Tom all of a sudden decides to leave the company a year later. And no one, no one really puts those two together that the reason Tom's leaving is because he wasn't given the space. It wasn't told how the grief is going to affect his work. He feels disconnected and disenchanted. His boss is kind of being a jerk of what the way Tom sees it. And they can't recover because no one's had that conversation with them about, hey, you guys are grieving. And this is what's going on. And this is what's happening. And let's, let's, let's talk about how we can work around it. Yeah. So that's, that's my focus now. I mean, what a journey, like, gosh, uh, thank goodness for, for you and, and, and Aww. your awareness for this, because I feel like, you know, there's a lot of people who are out there in the world who are working for themselves. And like, there's some beauty around that, but the most, most people are employees somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, um, I would imagine that every owner of a company would like to say, Hey, when our employees are going through something, of course we're there for them. But the problem is, is you're correct. It doesn't matter if it happens in the workplace or in life. None of us are really good at grief. None of yeah. us are really, we're all like, because someone dying makes us think about if that person died in our lives. And when we like get a little obsessed about that, and then we start to freak out and then we shut down and then we're like, can't be, we just can't, we don't, we also don't want to make a mistake because we don't want to say the wrong thing. So then we say right. the wrong thing, which is, um, let me know if you need anything. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and we say that because we're like, I don't want to overstep. I don't want to overwhelm. I don't, I don't, I don't want to make them cry. I don't want to make them mad. I don't want to like, they seem to be doing yep. well. So maybe I shouldn't bring it up. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. I just got engaged. I really want to share it with her, but her husband just died. I don't want to talk to her about it. Yeah. yeah. And then that makes them feel even more alone because of course, exactly. of course they want to be happy as, as well. And maybe they won't be as happy as they want to be, but they also don't want to be left out of the, of your life. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. You are exactly right. I think what happens is we make it about us and not about them. Mm-hmm. And I think there's two specific reasons we do this one, because we feel out of control. We don't know what to do. So when we're in fear, we step back, we just kind of take a step back. Um, the other, the other reason is because when we're, um, we don't want to touch on it, it hurts. You know, I, I became aware of how difficult the loss of my husband was for my in-laws several years later, like, because it was all about my loss at that point. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden, I mean, you know, occasionally during the loss, during the first couple of years, I would look at it and think, holy shit, they lost a son. Yeah. You know, so we're unable, we don't want to put ourselves in those shoes because it doesn't feel good to think about the fact that, yeah, we are all going to die. 
we're yeah. all going to die. Yeah. You know, but we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to discuss it. We just kind of hope and pray that today's not the day. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, and, and like, you know, my literally today we had a call with our financial advisor. She's like, well, how do you guys feel about life insurance policies? And I was like, um, so I want to make sure that I am taken care of if he guys first, because I actually would need to hire a whole new him. Right. Like it's not even like about my husband. Like he works with me. I'd have to hire an actual CEO. Right. So I need right. to have money for that and then yep. to be taken care of because I probably yep. won't be able to get off the carpet for a while. So we need yep. that. And then if I go yep. first, he has to find a new person to take over at the face yeah. of the company. Like, so yeah. we need to be taken, but like that doesn't even cover grief. That's just like the numbers. Right. So like, yep. and even for some people that's hard enough. So what, I mean, you know, obviously like you have your own experience, but like, what are some things that you have found like for people, coworkers and, 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 you know, what are those things that people can recognize are signs of grief? Because I think we think they're always going to be crying, but also it could be yeah. Bob's Bob's now short tempered, you yep. know, like that's grief. Yes. Yes, absolutely. First of all, please get the life insurance and double whatever you're thinking about. We can talk offline about that one. <laughs> Thank um, you, Kim. <laughs> yes. Just double whatever you're thinking about. Um, so I think the first thing is, yes, people tend to be short tempered. Um, I always liken it to giving birth and, you know, you see the funny, the funny outtakes when the woman's in labor and the husband like pats her brow and she just screams at him, right? She loses her mind. Well, that actually does happen sometimes in birth because our bodies, our female bodies are so focused on doing this one thing. So anything that distracts us pisses us off because it's distracting us from the process. Mm -hmm. And so when that happens, when grief happens to somebody, whether it's a colleague or a friend or, you know, partner, you have these blinders on because you were just trying to figure out what your next move is. Your brain is, you, you have now lost track of the person in your life. You can't find them anymore. Like they're not, you you can't fly to see them. They're not around the corner. They're not in bed. So you're, they're not showing up for work. So your brain is trying to adjust to this, this different time space reality. And it's really working hard. And when it's really working hard, it doesn't like to be distracted. So grief can show up. Like all of a sudden you could be talking about rainbows and this person could burst out crying. So I think sometimes we think, oh, no, let's not talk about their person because I'll make them cry. That sometimes has nothing to do with it. It's just sometimes it's just this random thought pops in and they cry. Short temperedness is a really great one. Sadness. We don't do sadness well. We're so quick to call sadness depression, but sometimes it's just sad. And so you feel lethargic. You don't want to go to work. Disinterest is another huge one that happens a lot is all of a sudden that job that you loved what's the point? Why yeah. am I going to work? Why am I showing up? This is really dumb. Right. And that can lead to that short temperedness, right? Because someone's someone who's not as close to the person who has died is in a meeting with you and they're talking about this type of thing and they're getting mad about it. And you're like, are you serious right now? Joe just died three weeks ago. And you're in here yelling about this number that doesn't make up crap of difference. Yeah. So it's, I think those are some of the things that people need to look at. Another one that people often don't look at is the opposite, that high energy, high positivity, everything's going to be all right. It was purpose. You know, I'm really grateful. I got to know this person. She was really great. Just that kind of high energy. Like that is someone who's really working hard to protect that, in, that, that incredible anger, sadness, mm -hmm. resentment. Um, another one is guilt. 
and guilt, of course, can't be seen. Um, but sometimes when we're guilty, we turn to anger to protect mm-hmm. it. Anger, I always consider anger as a cover emotion. Yeah. Usually when you're angry, there's other feelings below that, that are causing the anger yeah. to come up. Um, so guilt is another one. I last words I exchanged with them. Wasn't good. I should have been nicer. They were doing this meeting. I didn't, you know, we, we can come up with all sorts of reasons. We should have, should have, could have, would have. Um, and that can also drive a lot of, a lot of feelings at work. So I think those are sort of the top ones when you, yeah. come, when you ask. Yeah. Thank you. For, I mean, like, um, it is interesting how anger can be the cover for a lot of things. I think, um, the fear of all of it. Right. So, you know, and so you, you wrote a book and what was that, was that almost like therapeutic for you? Was it helpful to kind of like organize all the things that were, were helpful? Was it for for you? So when a friend or family member is in the same situation, you can go, okay, I remember this. Like what prompted that? Because a book is a big deal. It takes a lot of time and effort. So what, what prompted that? Um, it, it was like a fight between me and spirit or me, whatever you want to call it, me, God, Buddha, spirit, whatever. Um, because spirit was like, you need to write this. I was like, yeah, no, no, not me. I'm, yeah. I'm not ready. No, you really need to. No, 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 no. You, I'm not a writer. I kept telling myself I'm not a writer. And I finally decided I wrote it in 17 minutes a day. Mm-hmm. Every day I would go to work at a company. I would sit down at my desk. And I would set a timer and I'd write for 17 minutes, 15 felt too clean. Like it didn't feel like enough and 20 felt way too long. Yeah. So 17 was what I found. And it just, I would just kind of keep going at 17 minutes, 17 minutes, 17 minutes. Sometimes I would end up writing for an hour. Other times it was just all I could do to write for 17 minutes. And as it started to come out of me, that's when I started to organize it. So I realized that um, the book is organized in sections. There's helping with a car, right? And we don't think about that when someone's dealing with cancer, we're always going to food, but a car needs to run. A car needs to have gas in it. A car needs to be registered, right? All those things, a car needs to be washed, all those things around a car. Then we have help around food, but it's not the typical, hey, bring over lasagna, it's things like put a cooler by the front door so the person doesn't have to answer the door every single time a meal is delivered. That's a pretty important one. It gives the power back to the person who's receiving the support, whether or not they want to put out the energy to talk to you at that moment or not you personally, but talk to whoever's at the door. Yeah. Um, helping with kids because I had kids at the time. And so helping, I still have children. They're just not children. Um, <laughs> I said that once people go, my God, did they die? And I was like, no, 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 no. No, no, yeah, no. The, the size of them was, <laughs> the was size smaller. Of them. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yes. Um, and then work and helping from a distance. So I, that's how it became to be organized. But it was, it was very scary for me. Um, but once I started to organize it, I had a vision of it. I really kind of wanted it to be sort of like a coffee table book, the kind of book that people can leave out and, and people go, what is this? And open it up. I really wanted it to be easy to read because I don't like, I mean, I'm all, I, I read a lot, but I hate, I'm a bullet point underline kind of gal, you know? And so I don't want to read when I'm in a hurry to help my friend who's dealing with cancer or loss or anything else. I don't want to have to read five pages to get to that one nugget. So it's kind yeah. of, it really is sort of a flip open book and you can just kind of open it up and like, Oh, here, give her cash. Okay. Wait, let's say give her cash and then run away. Okay, great. I'll do that. Yeah. So <laughs> it's these kind of really simple tips. And so that's how it came to be. But 
I had friends, I, you know, took a chance and I had friends come over a couple Sundays in a row and they read through it with me and they asked for clarity and areas. Mm. So getting that feedback was really hard. It was not a painless process. Just no, put it that way. but I love that you brought people in to help you with that feedback. As you were saying that, I was like, oh my gosh, it should be on like the guest bathroom toilet. Like just, you <gasps> yes. know what I mean? Like, because like people are always in the guest bathroom and they, if they're then they're a little longer than the, <laughs> they could like read page, like could just flip it open and go, oh, yes. like you could like pass on these little nuggets so that, you know, if they ever need it and then maybe they have it. I think, I think that, um, especially for, for what the whole book is, like how, the way you put it together in those bullet points. What I love about that is, is like, we're so not, we're still not good at talking about grief. And right. so having a bullet point of, I can do this. And also for the perfectionists and overachievers who are like, I need I don't want to, I don't want to screw it up. It's like, just do this one thing and you don't have to do it every Tuesday. You could just do it right. this Tuesday. And yep. like, that's it. You know, I mean, it's, uh, we forget that those small acts really do mean a lot and you don't yes. have to be all or nothing. I think we can really take the pressure off of ourselves yes. to do that because, um, you know, the other person may not need that same thing next week. So you don't have to sign up or then not sign up because you're, you've told yourself a story is going to be for the next nine months. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that is a really good point. It really is. It's hard because we don't feel like it's enough. Mm -hmm. Right. Our friend, our colleague, our employee is going through hell. And really what enough is, is if we could just take it away from them. And I think sometimes we just, we don't define what enough is in our heads. And so we keep thinking there's gotta be something more. There's gotta be something I can do or be or say. And, you know, it, you know, the book also includes what not to say and what to say. So even if you can get to the point where you read the what not to say, and then you take one thing of the to say and just do that, that's enough. Yeah. Um, we all want to be witnessed, right? That's what, that's what, I mean, that's what Instagram yeah. and Facebook and, <laughs> and TikTok and all, I mean, they just took what we wanted mm -hmm. and, you know, it used to be, I wanted to be in the school newspaper or, you know, in my hometown newspaper that was being witnessed, but now it's taken like national stage, right? So, so we all want to be witnessed, including when we're going through a difficult time, yeah. but that witnessing doesn't have to be like, let's, Put, let's put together a prayer circle and circle around her when the when there's a full moon and you know howl to the wolves <laughs> or something. It doesn't have to be that grand. It just has to be. I am so sorry this is happening to you. Like it just it just breaks my heart, right? You're just expressing that moment of touching in, and I think that's what we, I think that's what we're most afraid of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and my goodness, our fear keeps us from doing so many things in our own lives, let alone like, <laughs> let alone like being there for those when they need it. Um, and, uh, so, okay. So I want to know you became this consultant. How do you start? How did you start doing that? Like, was that something that you knew you could do? Is it because you've been an HR? So you had an idea of like how to start doing that? Like, cause that's, that's like, that's a, there's a difference between like, okay, I like wrote a book. Okay. I have a job. And now you're like, okay, now I'm going to talk about grief all the time with everybody all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, like that's a big yeah. deal. And then you're also having, and then you also relieve, relive your story all the time. So I just wonder like wh what, like what allowed you to make this decision and like, how did you go about doing it? I think again, it was one of those tugs where there it, it's hard. 
mean, it's hard. I just, right before this call, I just sent out 15 LinkedIn messages. I videoed, I videoed them with the name saying, this is what I do. This is how I can help. And this is also how I can help. And I sent them out and the, and the title of it says, let's talk about death, not yours, but your employees. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they get this message. This is let's talk about death with a link. And then they get a video. Um, and, and it's it's crazy making. I literally, I mean, there are days right before this morning, I was like, this isn't going to work. I can't do this. I'm only going to have one, two clients. You know, it is every day. It is just deciding that I'm going to make some type of step. I set some type of goal for myself. And then I add a little bit more to it to make it a stretch goal, to make it uncomfortable. And then I just have to hit the ground running. As far as process, um, you know, I've been in HR for so long. So what I've done is taken some of really basic kind of management 101 and interwoven that with with what it's like to deal with a grieving team. So it's not like I pulled this out of thin air. You know, I've been I've been studying and taking classes and you know, I have my PHR which is a certificate. Um so I've been enveloped in the HR world and it was just sort of like, oh, well this piece would fit nicely right here and this piece goes right oh and that piece goes right here and so now all of a sudden I have a process. Um so it's I, I think I think that's, it, it really is sort of following your gut. And that's, I hate when people say that. I just have to tell you, I'm so sorry, everybody who's listening. Cause you're like, what if your gut's wrong? And believe me, I guess that all the time. I'm like, what if I'm doing it wrong? Um, but it really is. It's, it's, it is trusting. It is believing so much in what I'm doing that I can't not do it. And I've tried. I've tried to say, you know what, I'm just going to do HR. I like it. It's an exciting field. No two days are the same. That's where I want to go. And I try that route. And then in the back of my mind, there's always this, uh, okay, but write this one blog post about this thing. Oh, then you should probably do another blog post about that thing. And so it's just, it's always, it's always present. And so I can't ignore it anymore. I just can't. And it's scary as hell. I mean, it's, it's scary as hell. Yeah. I think you, anyone listening can insert whatever their goal is yes. and, and put that there. Cause I think like you said, like there's this tug and I think like, that is a really, like, it's like, it's an idea that just never leaves you. Like, it's like, hello, <laughs> knock, knock, knock. <laughs> you should do this. Yeah, exactly. um, and so exactly. I, I think like, you know, um, I thank you for sharing that in a way that we can all go. Yep. Been there. I, um, I was talking with a friend earlier today. And I was like, yeah, sometimes I'm like, why am I like working so hard on this thing that I'm like so passionate about? Cause like I made really good money just teaching, <laughs> like just teaching. I could just right. show up, teach and like, that was it. Right. And then as I was saying that, I was right. like, I, and I would be so bored because I clearly yeah. like this, what I'm doing stretches me in a way that like challenges me, makes no two days the same. I know it's making a bigger impact. So it's just this really funny thing. Like it's pretty hard. Eventually that voice gets so loud. You can't not listen to it. So I love, yes. um, thank you for sharing that process. You know, I think it's really cool. Um, what you're doing there's, it's so needed. And, um, I like, as you're talking, I have like three people. I'm like, I hope she, oh, does she know this person? She doesn't know this person. Like I just, I, I, I don't know why I've been so, um, interested in this topic lately. Cause it's not like I've had any loss in my life in the la recently or that close to me, but I do see how it affects I, I, I coach a lot of Pilates instructors, a client passes away and it's like, that's your every Sunday at 9am. That was your client. Like yes. that, 
That's how you don't just go and put someone else in there. It's not like the person goes, thanks so much, Les, I'm not coming anymore. I'm not renewing yeah. my package. Like that's, it's like, but so, even that's a loss. It's a loss. I mean, you know, you know, I just broke up with a guy. It wasn't like we, we, we went like five dates and I texted <laughs> him and said, Hey, I don't think this is a fit. And then for the last week I've been thinking about him. I mean like, Oh, maybe, Oh, maybe oh. <laughs> he was so sweet. He was so nice this way. And you know, like, because I realized I'm grieving, not the kind of grief that is when you're, when your person dies, but even losing a client, someone who you like is, is, is grief. Yeah. Um, and I think that, and I think your questioning and your kind of curiosity about it right now really speaks to the fact that there is, there's loss almost, especially in, if when you're an entrepreneur, there's loss pretty much every week. (laughs) Yeah. Like ideas, ideas don't go (laughs) right. Some dream, something that you have to give up. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's bigger and better, but I also think this is what makes life amazing. Mm. And, and, you know, we hear people talk about these stories and about how uh, I think is, I don't remember, it wasn't Brene Brown. It was someone else who just talked about how to use terrible things to really make your life sweeter. And I hate to say that. I want, I do want to say something. I'm going to talk about a silver lining that I got from my husband's death. I want to make it really clear to everybody that it is not your job to point out other person's silver lining. Mm. So many people were like, well, you know, you have so much going for you. Like they were trying to put silver linings around. One of my friends said, um, Kim, you know, don't worry. You're young. You're beautiful. You can get married again. And I was like, oh, well, then I don't need to be so sad because I can replace my husband. <laughs> you know, you know that they don't mean it that way. They but don't like, mean it. Yeah, exactly. I love that. We don't need to find other people's several linings. They exactly. get to do that in their own story time. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and you know, the silver lining for me is, I mean, there's been a ton of them. You know, I... I had an experience with my youngest son. I was, I applied to speak at this event and I needed to have my application reread. Like I just knew I wasn't quite gotten it. And my daughter does a lot of it for me. And I just called my youngest son because we've been working together on some writing stuff for him. And so I said, Hey, can you take a look at this? And he's like, yeah. And he took a look at it. And he said, I don't understand this. And what about that? And, he, and it got, it got clear. I got clarity and my application got accepted. And I thought, I thought to him, oh, I said to him, you know, your father would be so proud that you did this. And then I thought, oh, if art were here, I would have never gone to Ezra. Mm. I would have never asked my youngest son for support, right? And that we now have a bond on a different level because my husband's dead. And there's no trade-off. I can't say I wish my husband was alive and I wish I didn't have this bond. And I'm glad my husband's dead and I'm grateful for the bond. There's no, there's no either or. It's just this kind of combination. So I have this incredible bond with my children where I ask them for support in a way that most mothers, when you're married to someone, you don't ask your kids for support in that way. Mm -hmm. And it's so beautiful and so sweet and so wonderful. And it's because my husband died. Yeah. So there's this, there's always this juxtaposition of, of my life. I really like my life. I really do. And I still think about my husband every single day, not always in tears, a lot of times in laughter, but I still think about him every single day, but my life is really sweet and wonderful and open and kind. And I love more openly because he died. Mm. 
I can't trade that. There's no trade-off. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Kim, you're amazing. I hope we get to connect more um, in the future. I just, um, I'm grateful that you're doing what you're doing. Um, we're going to take a brief break, everyone. And then we're going to find out how people can work with you and your beat action items. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should at least be simple. That's why for the past three years, we've been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed with water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel totally energized and it makes me feel like I'm doing something healthy for myself. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. Yeah, and you're probably wondering, like, how can you actually do it? No exceptions. I know you guys travel all the time. You've got a lot going on. You're running three businesses. Here's the deal. It's because it's that simple. So when we're at home, after I walk by own, and sometimes August, because sometimes he comes, I open up the fridge. I pull out the dog's wet food and the AG1. I pour my AG1. And if Brad's up, I'll pour his too. And then I give the dogs their food. And we have this morning breakfast with all of our nourishing vitamins and minerals that we need to kickstart our day together as a family. But when we're traveling... What I love so much is these travel packs and they make it so easy to make sure that especially on the road when it's the hardest to get nutrition needs met, like it is impossible. I'm constantly like, is there a salad? Is there a bowl? Like, can I add more veggies to this Thai food? But I know because I'm AJ1 in the morning, I am set to go. And it really does make us feel like we're doing things that are healthy for ourselves even when we hit the road. So you cannot make a mistake with AG1. It makes it really easy no matter how busy your life is. Or maybe your life is simple and you're going to add something extra simple to it. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1. And that's why we've partnered with them for so long. So if you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 plus K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash be it. That's drinkag1.com slash B-E-I-T. Check it out. All right, Kim. Well, you have been just wonderful sharing everything that you've learned. And I've learned so much from you already. Um, where can people find you, follow you, work with you? I know you hang out on the LinkedIn. So. I do. <laughs> hang out on LinkedIn. <laughs> the uncool professional platform. I know. Um, everyone's trying to get me over there. And I... <laughs> we'll talk afterwards. It's some pluses. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, so find me on LinkedIn. I'm at Kim Hamer, um, on LinkedIn. You can just Google my name and it comes up on LinkedIn. I also spend a lot of time on Instagram at 100 acts of love. So I'm also there. You can find my stories about my kids and more personal stories about my life, um, as a widow there. So those are the two best places. Um, if I know we talked about this really quick and is it okay if I talk really quick about one, the number one thing not to say? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Cause we've, I wanted to make sure I talk, yes. touched on that. So the number one thing not to say, if you need anything, let me know. There are four reasons you should never say that one is because it doesn't connect you. We talked a lot about just sitting in the yuck with the person who's going through this horrible time. And it's really important that you just take a moment to go, Oh, you know, to say, I, my heart hurts, or I don't know what to say, to acknowledge what's happening. And that phrase doesn't acknowledge it. Two, you're going to like this one. But Leslie, what is anything? Like anything, like did anything mean that you're going to go pick up my vomiting four-year-old toddler in the car you just cleaned? Or did anything mean you'd just be happy to drop off a bottle of wine? Anything is too big for anybody to get their head around. It's just too much. 
The third reason it's not helpful is now you put the pressure on the person you're trying to help to come up with something. Right. And so their brains already, like I like to say, they already don't have 52 decks, 52 cards in the deck right now. They may be down to 26 and maybe they have 47. We don't know, but they're not thinking straight. And so you now put the extra pressure on them to figure out what anything is and figure out that one thing that you might be willing to do. And the fourth reason it's not helpful is because y'all, none of us are really good at asking for help. And now you've put the pressure on someone who is extremely vulnerable with their life right now. Their life is up, the, like the, the floor has become the sidewall and they don't know what they're doing. And now you're asking them in this extremely vulnerable state to ask you to, to do something that you may not want to do that they just figured maybe this is the thing that you want to do and risk rejection. And nobody is going to do that. And we all think, I don't want to bother them. They're too busy. This puts a burden on them. That's where our heads go. So the person is, is unless they're like your bestest friend in the whole wide world, they're not going to come back and ask you to do something. Yeah. So that's why it's the least helpful. Instead, be specific and offer more than once. Now, there are four other things I recommend that you don't say. And a great way to find those four other things is to go to my website. Do you like the segue there? I love it. I love a good transition. (laughs) (laughs) You go to my website at 100, that's the number 100actsoflove.com backslash what not to say. So you'll download, it'll say for cancer, it applies for everything. You will learn the four other things not to say why they're not helpful to say, because I think that's really important that people start to, there are, there's an anatomy of an unhelpful thing to say. So people start to kind of understand, oh, when I'm in fear, I tend to say things that are less helpful. Um, And then they'll also find other phrases to say instead of those four bad phrases. So that's what I wanted to share. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, thank you. That is, I'll be going there. We'll put the link in the show notes. Um, (laughs) You know, I mean, it's just, it's terrible that we all are, and it's 2023 when we're recording this. I'm like, yeah. we still don't know these things. Yeah. <laughs> They're yeah. not being taught these things in school. You know, you've given us so much. And so honestly, if that is the bold, executable, intrinsic target step to be a WC, <laughs> I'll take it. But if you had anything else to add to that, um, you know, uh, let us know. Cause I, I, I you, you're so, um, you're so informative and, and Aww. it's really in easy for people to understand. So. Thank you. I think that I have sort of three. The first one is feel your feelings. It sucks that this person who you like or care about or really love is going through what they're going through. And I recommend, you know, crying in a car is put some sad music on in a car, just go for a drive and have a really good cry. Maybe not drive and cry at the same time. Depends how coordinated you are um, or how hard you're crying, but you know, get those feelings out of you, write a pissed off letter to the higher power about how this isn't fair, but whatever it is, get those feelings out of you. Um, because once they're out of you, one, they do a lot less damage out on paper or in the air than they do in your head. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they're in their head and when they're in your head, they leak out of you. No matter how hard you try to not have them leak out of you, they will leak out of you and the person you're trying to help will feel them. They may be completely unable to articulate what they're feeling, but they're going to feel them. And that's what you don't want to do. I think the second actionable thing is think about your, what your specific offer is. You know, we all have helping superpowers, 
Mine happened to be, I love a clean kitchen. You need me to come in and clean your kitchen. I'm happy to do it. And I will find whatever you need from the grocery store. I will meet that truck at 5 a.m. in the morning to make sure that, that I get that item off that, off that truck. So those happen to be two of my favorites, but there's things that we're really good at. Maybe it's Excel, maybe it's putting together a pivot table, right? At work, maybe it's putting together a project report. Maybe it's corralling children. Maybe it's um, maybe it's driving or fixing cars or you have a really good mechanic. We all have specific things that we're really good at and that we like to do. And we don't find value in them because they're so easy for us, but that's your helping superpower. So offer that and offer more than once, because again, the person that you're dealing with is not dealing with a full deck of cards. So um, make sure that you're just, you know, just reminding them every now and then that you're there. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing is, I, this is sort of hard, but don't make it about yourself. If they don't call you, it's not because you're an ass or they're mad at you or whatever. It's because I think that, I guess maybe the third thing is put yourself in their shoes Yeah. for just a moment, right? They're not really concerned about calling you because they're pissed at you because you didn't offer the right way. They got so many bigger things to deal with. That is like 1,027 on their list right now. So don't make it about you. Just send them a lot of love. So I think those are the three things. Yeah. Those are beautiful. And actually you just like I'm so great. I just like went through them. I can't wait for Brad to hear this because I'm like, oh, we are really good at helping out with dogs. We can walk people's dogs. And whenever I order a Chewy, I can go and figure out what their order is and just place that thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like we can all find different things that we can, whenever I'm going to order dog food, I can just, you know, so it's like, there's ways we can make it so that it's helpful and you don't have to feel like you had to like you don't feel like you're burdening yourself with it as well. So, because you're just putting more pressure on yourself and you do nothing. Um, yes. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Kim, for being here. Y'all, oh, you're very welcome. How are you going to use these tools in your life? How are you going to use these tips? I, I, I really hope that this is one of those episodes you can save and re-listen to if you need or share with a friend who's like, oh my gosh, my friend at work went through this thing. It's like, oh, hey, listen to this because this is here, here, you know, I mean, like, that's what I hope that the, this episode can be for you. Tag Kim Hamer, tag the Be It Pod with your takeaways. And until next time, be it till you see it. That's all I got for this episode of the Be It Till You See It podcast. One thing that would help both myself and future listeners is for you to rate the show and leave a review and follow or subscribe for free wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, make sure to introduce yourself over at the Be It Pod on Instagram. I would love to know more about you. Share this episode with whoever you think needs to hear it. Help us and others be it till you see it. Have an awesome day. Be It Till You See It is a production of the Bloom Podcast Network. It's written, filmed, and recorded by your hosts, Leslie Logan, and me, Brad Kroll. It is produced and edited by the Epic Team at Desenio. Our theme music is by Ali at Apex Production Music, and our branding by designer and artist Gianfranco Chofi. Special thanks to Melissa Solomon for creating our visuals and Semena Velazquez for our transcriptions. Also to Angelina Herico for adding all the content to our website, and finally, to Meredith Crowell for keeping us all on point and on time. Hey, loves, it's me, Leslie, and I am excited to talk about socks because 
we need to talk about socks all the time because I love being barefoot. I am not a fan of shoes. You'll rarely see me in shoes. Even when I have people at my house and they're in shoes, I am barefoot or I'm in my toe socks and Tavi Active socks. And the reason is that I've got tile floors and um, they're not so nice to my feet. So I do love a cute sock. And I also only use their socks when I am doing Pilates. I love that they have an amazing sticky gripness to them. It also, when I'm teaching in other people's studios, having those socks on keeps me from slipping around in a studio and really allows me to root where I'm planted. Plus they're freaking cute. Have you seen toe socks and Tavi's socks? I mean, my goodness, they are the cutest styles all the time. The Barbie socks, I can't get enough of. I think I need to buy three pairs. So here's the deal. I want you to get yourself a pair of toe socks or Tavi Active socks, and you can go to beapod.com slash toe socks. That's going to take you over to toe socks. Feel free to explore a Tavi and you can use my discount code, Leslie, that's L-E-S-L-E-Y to make sure you save some money on your socks because the reality is, is you should just get the most amazing, cutest socks and also save some money because you listen to this podcast. So make sure you check those out the next time you are looking for some socks to wear in Pilates, yoga, bar, or around your house like I do. 